Hello and welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I could probably watch everything Rutger Hauer's done. And I'm Gary. And today we're going to review and discuss Nighthawks, which released in 1981. From writers David Schaber and Paul Silbert, and directed by Bruce Malmuth and uncredited Gary Nelson. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows a couple of New York sergeants working for the police force. We follow Sergeant Deke De Silva and Sergeant Matt Fox, played by Sylvester Stallone and Billy D. Williams, as they are assigned to a special terrorism task force to take down Wolfgar, played by Rutger Hauer. Get So this film is a little bit notorious for having uh, some production problems mm. even before the film actually began. Uh, the script started off as a sequel to The French Connection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, however, it wasn't meant to be and uh, Universal got the hands on it and rewrote the film. And so this was a vehicle for Sylvester Stallone to sort of branch out from his Rocky persona, which of course is what made him quite famous at this point. But the production problems I've heard from this film come from... Well, Sylvester Stallone himself, who had also, over the years, admitted that he was the problem behind the scenes with this film. Mm. Uh, the original director, as I said, had an uncredited, uh, you know, was fired or walked away from the project within a week of filming. Yeah. Uh, and so they brought in this guy who I'd never heard of, not, no idea what other films he'd made of, but you can kind of imagine that considering Sylvester Stallone had some fallouts with the Directors Guild of America because mm. Sylvester Stallone took ownership and directed some of the scenes in the film, particularly a chase sequence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the replacement director wasn't able to get there on time. <laughs> yeah, I read that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I honestly believe that uh, the majority of this film was probably shadow directed by Stallone. Yeah, I feel And that. he might have, might have just had a puppet director in there just just to not annoy the Directors Guild of America anymore. Uh, but there's other production problems that I hear, that there was a massive falling out uh, with Rutger Hauer and Sylvester Stallone. Rutger Hauer's uh, kind of said that he knew, coming over to make this film with Stallone, that Stallone was, you know, a star, and Hollywood icon, yeah. or, or becoming one. Yeah. Um, but he had had, like, a flop or two, some box office duds, and so he was kind of desperate to make this film work, and so he was... Not the most pleasant person to work with, and uh, and they also shot the very final scene of the film first, yeah, which put Stallone and Rutger at odd ends. So much so that when the film was wrapped up, Stallone's uh, reaction to test audiences saw that they really warmed or were interested or liked the Rutger Hauer scenes. Yeah. So Stallone went out of his way to cut as many of those <laughs> scenes as possible mm -hmm. and make sure that he was more prominent in the film. Yeah, yeah. However, Universal Studios took that cut and then recut the movie yet again, cutting out at least half an hour from the movie so that what we finally got was... Uh, well, I mean, it was a mishmash. It was put together. And, a production? Well, it actually was critically received fairly well oh, and yeah. actually made all of its money back and then some. But so I was kind of surprised. Like, so like today I'm like, Sylvester Stallone, Rutger Hauer. I love these guys. How come I'd never heard of this damn movie? 
when you said we were reviewing this, I just thought you got Lady Hawk wrong. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no, you were like, oh, Rock of Horrors and that. I was just like, oh, isn't it Matthew Broderick, not fucking <laughs> Sylvester Stallone? <laughs> so then, obviously, I looked into it as well and, and read about the production problems. And yeah, the, the final sequence, I mean, not trying to skip too far ahead, Rooker Hauer was injured. Twice take, over. Yeah, taking squib, squib damage from the sequence and it's just like you really don't want that in like the start of your movie you know the same thing with the replacement director he wasn't able to make it there on day one so then stallone went well i'll take over and i'll do this whole action sequence which which isn't bad you know but like he's just come off the back of rocky two yeah rocky two yeah so he's he's already won an oscar yeah you know he's already written it you know stallone's proven himself in hollywood that he can actually do the job when it comes to it so then when he's actually made to act and the director is clashing with him like you said i like i forgot to really look into the backgrounds of both the original and the replacement but nothing screamed at me to say oh yeah you know you gotta check these guys out um but with with the film as well it does especially the start it does feel a bit of a mishmash because you immediately start off december 31st new york city you know, you've got this woman leaving um, this phone booth in the middle of the night. She's walking down the street. Visually, I will say right off the bat, visually, most of the New York City stuff, pretty goddamn good. I'm glad you said that because the first thing I thought about this film was how striking visually it is. And yeah. I love New York-based movies where they get that cinematography that makes it look dark and dingy and violent well, and mate, kind of frightening. Yeah, this is the same year as Escape from New York. Exactly. You know, okay, yeah, John Carpenter didn't... Filmy stuff there. But when I look at this film, I'm like, oh man, yeah, it's New York City. It's dingy. It's grimy. And, and I love the shot where we have the lady sort of walking towards the camera and we've got this thug sort of hiding around the corner. Yeah, I yeah. was like, the shot composition and everything, the framing was really, really good. So I was like, okay, I'm interested in what's what's going to happen. And they surround this lady ready to mug her, this, demanding this her This lady. Of this course, lady. This lady. I was like, I mean, she looks quite hench for an old yeah, lady. Yeah, I'm looking at her face. I'm like, what the is wrong with this woman's face and my brain's like it's Stallone in a dress <laughs> it it's is. Stallone in a dress he whips off the mask and and then uh, Billy D jumps out as well and they start chasing off the thugs I mean police brutality fucking hell you know like he throws a purse at the guy as he runs on Knocks, the he's like bleeding all over the face yeah. I mean it was a violent situation and it demanded a violent oh, answer yeah yeah but you can get the feeling as well that Billy D. Williams character Matt Fox and De Silver you know they're the loose cannon badasses of the police force I did love the shot where he gets up onto the train station platform and he, he he fights the guy and Stallone's just like come on then come on he man come on get me like he's really and you're like alright I rocky. I rocky. And he, he probably takes out the guy and then he drags him along the platform while reading him his rights. Like, I really like that sequence. Yeah, I... You have the right to a legal counsel. You have the right to remain silent. And anything you say can be used in a court of law against you. Amen. But then immediately, it's December 31st, London, and you're like, okay, right, okay, stay on the same timeline. You know, and a young Rutger Hauer, he's walking into a department store. Um, he walks up to a young cashier um, who's kind of the young Maggie. Catherine Mary Starfire. Stewart. I know. Yeah. So straight away I was like, oh, she, I mean, I mean, 
Like, Look at how it's very creepy when he approaches her and tells her how pretty she is. I'm like, well, she is. But yeah, Rooker Howard is creepy as fuck. Like, did they dub over her voice? Yes, they did. Because it's shit. She, yeah, she said she couldn't believe that she was dubbed over, but she said she tried to deliver the best accent that they had asked for. Uh, I think you'd be interested in this more, sir. Would you like to smell it? What do you think? What, you're in London. <laughs> That's it. You're in London. Um, and he, he, while he's talking to the cashier, he, he sneaks this package underneath her booth, which was a bit heartbreaking, knowing what was coming next. And then he walks outside and he gets into the phone booth to make this call. And as he does that, boom, massive, huge explosion. People are screaming. People are running. And he delivers this line of, you know, the Wolfgar connection, uh, the Wolfgar control, where, you know, we're going to do more of these acts. Your governments are, should be afraid, blah, blah. He's like a top-notch terrorist. Yeah, of what? And fighting, Terrorism, and fighting for what? He's, he's a terrorist. He doesn't need to fight for anything. Hans Gruber, uh, didn't, so Hans Gruber didn't fight for shit. And he was a terrorist. Yeah, he wanted money. He was a terrorist. He wanted money. Well, so does, so does Wolfgar. <laughs> no, he, he does. He likes the parties and the rich clothes. He, he likes money. He likes to go to discos. <laughs> And pick up lonely women so he can plant his guns and grenades at their houses. Hey, don't question the Wolfgar control. No. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, like, I, I like my villains in my movies and I like to know what my villain's fighting for. And Rutger Hauer Wolfgar isn't really fighting for anything. I think he makes a comment about the bomb in London being against British colonialism. Yeah. And I was like, what, but, mate? But could they have also cut all that stuff out? Could somebody have sat there and oh. gone... You know, no, really, like Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, if the audience is getting behind Wolfgar's character, then yeah. maybe Wolfgar is really selling that he's doing this because his mum, his dog, his dad, his sister, and his brother were all killed in an explosion by American forces and such and such date. And so he's, he's, he's not really the yeah. Because some... anything sort of hang that villain coat on, I could have got behind. Yeah. But otherwise, it's just I'm terrorist, and it's like they're just throwing that word around. <laughs> yeah. Without any real meaning. I mean, like, if there's a fine line between terrorist and rebel, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, like, yeah. were you having for anybody? What was that? <laughs> but it was, it was kind of interesting because it, it jumps all the way back to January fourth, New York, and we're following uh, De Silva and Matt Fox infiltrate this building, whip out shotguns, <laughs> like. Like, I like it. Like, yeah. it's actiony fucking cop shit. But it, that's what it feels like. It's actually yeah, cop shit. Yeah. They're not actually going by the book. Right. Now, this is what... I, I kind of get into some character problems with the film. And I like that this film has character development, or at least part, parts of it. Yeah. Um, where Deke De Silva is... Uh, you know, he's... He's being pulled in and he's being trained with his partner, with these other other police officers on yeah. counter-terrorist sort of tactics and, and systems. And uh, he he gets upset with their methods. And he's just like, I don't, I didn't sign up to be a police officer to kill people. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that scene at the beginning was pretty violent. Yeah. That scene where you burst in on that raid with a shotgun was pretty violent, or at least you intended to be. Yeah. So I'm, I don't understand where this soft cop kind of nature is coming from especially yeah. a new york cop and then when he's brilliant actor um nigel davenport playing uh, peter hartman yeah uh, who's giving these lectures says to him i pulled up your record you served in the in the military you've got like over 50 confirmed kills yeah, he went to vietnam i was like rambo right? <laughs> exactly and then he's just like yeah i don't want to i don't want to kill people uh, uh, adrian where are you help me out here <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. He's got Billy D, and I'm like, and the chemistry between the two of them is really good as well. Yeah, but uh, Billy the, D didn't have anything. To no, work with. he 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 
has his moments where he's there, and I was like, the chemistry really works, but he does so much so become a sideline character yeah. until he almost disappears entirely from the film, which is kind of sad because they kind of work together. So I was like, it's, yeah, it's like pre-lethal weapon. It's, yeah, you know, there's, I, there's. I know there's tons of buddy cop movies, but I don't I don't know how far to trace them back, <laughs> you know. But they had a good, uh, uh, you know, a good energy there, and apparently the two of them also worked with the police in New York City overnight as yeah. well to kind of see how they worked and yeah. pick up on some of that terminology, etc. And I so mean, they were kind of convincing. Yeah, well, obviously, if they've done a couple of nights in New York City in the eighties, and this is how they're acting, then police brutality at that time was a <laughs> well. I mean, it's it's always been a problem. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But we, we cut back as well, again, to January 6th, London, and Wolfgar is at a party um, with some university girls, or just people, and he's got a guitar, and a guy turns up. Now, it doesn't necessarily actually say, or I might have missed it, but this guy works for the same kind of group that Wolfgar is working for. Wolfgar is not actually in, in charge, there's other people. And so I was just like, oh, maybe it was like the IRA or something who assigned him this job in London. And they're pissed at him because um, a couple of kids were killed in the bombing. And Wolfgar's attitude towards it is like, well, you know, that's the nature of war and stuff like that, I, you know. But he, he realizes that the guy had not only been picked up by the police, but he's brought the police to Wolfgar. And so then Wolfgar goes out to the police, pulls out a fucking Uzi, <laughs> mows three of them down, and then turns to the guy and goes, you're going to a better place. Right. And Uzi's him. <laughs> yeah. You go to a better life. It's like, whoa. Well, I mean, uh, I guess the Uzis are pretty quiet. It was like nobody heard it over the music. Well, yeah, the music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was just like, I mean... I, I it didn't make this terrorist organization look very smart, you know? <laughs> like, well, no. But then Wolfgar, he ends up going off a meeting with uh, Shaka, who's played by Circus Kambata, he recognized from uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yeah. Or maybe not, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's the hair. Uh, but uh, they're in France for a little while, and then uh, he gets convinced that he's going to have to have some plastic surgery well, because. Um, he's been, he's going to be identified now. But it is established though, uh, in the church sequence that he's been ostracized from, uh, their group that you, like I said, the people in charge have said, no, no, Wolfgar is a loose cannon. We don't want him working for us anymore because, you know, like I said, we don't really know because maybe it was edited out, but his ideals don't match up to the same ideals of the terrorist group that he's working for. He's, he's so maniacal he'll just build a bomb or kill people and do something so that he's noticed or whatever and it it, it then yeah it does make him just seem like a bog standard villain you know somebody who's a maniac who's just going to go out and kill people instead of actually giving him a reason of of why he's committing these terrorist acts but she she and he then go to this plastic surgeon and the surgeon's going on about something about his nose not being the right shape you then find out from Peter Hartman's character that the the um, French surgeon was killed, and that's how they know Wolfgar has left Europe to come to America because nobody else is going to hire him. Everybody in the Middle East have got their own problems. Nobody in Europe's going to hire him, so he's coming to America to obviously make his mark. And that's where they've decided to then build up this task force, which at the time, yeah, I think was relatively new. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, nobody had ever threatened to fly to New York and blow something up yeah yeah well 
then we get extended sequences yeah. of this lecture as we uh, we then <sighs> lock eyes on uh, Wolfgar and Deke as they as he stares at the picture of him and he yeah, starts doodling was, his image. I'm that like, was so Stallone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The editing here, just like... For me, the pacing was just nosediving pretty hard here. Um, what I mean by so Stallone is like, we're, all, we're, we're pre-80s action hero. We're pre-Demolition Man, Drudge, Judge Dread 90s with Cliffhanger. How many times would you see an action movie with Stallone where he just kind of looks at you and then the villain looks back and you know the villain's going to die in the next like 20 <laughs> seconds. That's why he does it to fucking Ivan Drago as well in Rocky IV. <laughs> but then we also get um, uh, some, some more backstory to Deke and we find out that uh, his wife has left him because he was so... You know, uh, obsessed. So, so obsessed with the police work. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's somehow not obsessed with the police work with when he's having these lectures about terrorists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he tries to make up with his uh, with his wife. Yeah. Uh, who's just like, doesn't really want anything to do with him. And uh, apparently, well, I mean, halfway through the movie at some point, they, they, they speak again. And she's like, well, maybe we'll do dinner, you know, a fortnight from now, a weekend from now. Well, the movie's trying to establish her as like the the end goal you know for for he can sort his life out and get his wife back yeah, yeah after he's defeated wolfgar which you know a lot of the time but cliche like you know wolfgar is probably going to find out about the wife and use it against him and even even well, yeah even davenport even mentions it like i've looked at your file i know the histories of all you and wolfgar will know exactly the same so he can squeeze you that's the nature of terrorists. Yeah. You know, terrorism. So, I mean, it, it was originally going to be used to further develop the character, but it was edited down to just service the plot yeah. so that we could have, a, you know, a setup for the ending when yeah. we get to there. Uh, but from here to the end of the film, we do actually have some interesting sequences where Deke and Fox go to all of the discos and all of the venues to try and track down where Wolfgar might be because... Well, yeah, well, it's because obviously he's met up with a girl at a disco and then he's blown up something in the financial district which made them aware that, you know, Wolfgar was in the city. That's right. But he's not left any real evidence because this is just how he starts up. Well, until he's you but, know, taken this girl and killed her because yeah, she found all those she, grenades. Yeah, she's like, what's this big luggage and box again, in my I'm wardrobe? Like, oh my God, guns! Exactly. I'm like, Wolfgar, you're not very smart, really, are you? Like, Rutger Hauer is intimidating and he has that villain presence, but his character is written like an idiot who just makes so many mistakes. I'm like, it's no wonder you're going to get caught because he left a map with circled, you know, <laughs> yeah. financial district bomb locations. You know, it's like, Jesus, man, you left the map or on the table. Did he intentionally do that to terrorize to get them? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's really badly written. But like Gary said, Fox and the Silver go to clubs and they start searching around. And it's a bit of a montage sequence. Do you know this girl? Do you know this girl? No, no, no. Oh, actually, yeah, we've we've seen her here. So then I'm like, all right, it can't be tonight. Wolfgar would he not go be back fucking to here. the exact, exact same, same place, place <laughs> and try to gamble the house. When he knows the police are looking uh. for him. And and I did like the way the film establishes. Like it had like what two or three guys that kind of look like him. Yeah. But you're looking, you're like, uh, is he? No, no, that's not him. That's not him. Oh no, that's that motherfucker over there because they got the eyes. Right. The eyes. But then I was like, wait a minute. He hasn't had plastic surgery. He's had a haircut and a shave. I think he did slightly <laughs> reposition his nose. I didn't actually go back and have a look. Yeah, he's because he's just I the mean, same. you know, yeah, <laughs> they still look exactly the same. De Silva's just like, if I do this and this and do that. He's right over there. And you're like, oh, shit. And so instead of just 
going over. Do we know? need to just eyeball each other for a while? I, I couldn't. I was just like, I was just like, is this police procedure? Because you could literally call up Hartman and be like, I think, I we've, think we've got, got him. him. Surround the building. Surround the building, or let's. No wait, they haven't got phones. Remember, they got these giant walkie-talkies. <laughs> or at least. <laughs> Watch him go. Let right, him follow yes, him. Tail him. See you tail him. See him go. But no, fucking De Silva walks over with Fox. The two of them don't even split up because because no. Billy D. Williams is like, I'm not dying without you. I'm me. the sidekick, which means I stay behind <laughs> you and to your side. <laughs> yeah. And so then they're walking, and then he's what's it? He just shouts Wolfgar. Yeah. You know, after they've locked eyes, and fucking Rutger pulls out a gun and and shoots somebody right in the back. Right? They shoot this person in the back. And everyone goes, huh? What was that? <laughs> I know. And I was like, Wolfgar, how stupid are you, man? Like, you've got a crowd of dancers. You can easily slip by. But now that you've shot someone, you've like you've brought even more attention to yourself. <laughs> yeah. But still, somehow he manages to get away. Um, because, he runs fast. Because Deke would not take the shot. It's interesting you should say that he runs fast. Right, okay. <laughs> just, just to go with some of the on-set animosity between these two actors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rutger Howard was told, like, oh, you know, Sylvester Sloan, he trains every day. He runs up the sides of buildings, you know, just before <laughs> breakfast. Yeah. You know, and apparently during the chase sequence, Rutger Hauer continuously outpaced Rocky over and over again. Rutger Hauer's just like, I came from Europe, mate. We ran to school and back. Because <laughs> you know? there's that sequence, like they, they run for ages through the streets, having a bit of a shootout, and then they get into the subway, which, like we said, was filmed and edited or whatever by Stallone. And so it is really kind of action y from the moment they enter the subway to the moment that, spoilers, Wolfgar gets away. But the the that I really love that open shot where you got all the workmen working on the tunnel and fucking Rutger Hauer's like down and on the floor fucking bombing it to the camera. I'm like, where's Stallone? <laughs> he's like, oh, here he comes. Oh yeah, yeah, he's gonna make his way down and chase him. And then they run along the tracks and you and, and that's like we said, that's how fast Rutger Hauer was. He slipped over and still outpaced, him. right? <laughs> He ends up uh, taking an old lady hostage. Yeah. He gets onto the train. He gets all the way to the front before, you know, and uh, before uh, uh, Deke and uh, Matthew can catch up with Wolfgar, they've got to the next station and he manages to uh, to escape again. Well, he, he jumps out, doesn't he? They, they, they chase him for a little bit and then that's when they split up. And while they're split up, Billy D. Williams gets sliced right across the face by Wolfgar. I was and impressed that he survived because I was like, typical sort of film like this, this is where the partner dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. This is where you have the the actual emotional weight of your best friend dying to want to bring the villain down. But That's it. No, he just gets it. hospitalized. <laughs> and then while he's laying there being stretched out, he's like, you should have took the shot. You should have <laughs> took the shot. And I'm like, you got a gun? Matthew yeah, Fox, yeah, like, yeah, Matthew Fox. You, you literally stood there with him going, I can't see him, I can't see him. And <laughs> yeah, okay, you might have shot him, I, I, your one life or the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or whatever kind of thing. But that's the weight of the movie. That's the weight of the Silver's character is that he doesn't want to kill any more people. He just wants to kill the villain. And so then when he's screaming in the subway, like, I'm going to kill you, <laughs> I'm going to kill you, fucker. I was like, oh, Wolf oh, man, That was so cringe. <laughs> it was so cringy. I, I like the way that it faded into the, the sound of the subway train. Mm. But I was like, man, like, your partner's not dying. Right, he's been yeah, he's he's got a nasty cut. There are people <laughs> around. <cut>. He's got <laughs> real nasty cut. There's a couple of stitches, and he'll be all right. And I was like, but you could have pursued him more. You just didn't. You just decided to start yelling after him. I was like, this, 
I mean, it was a bad movie at that moment. It would have been a really bad movie if you just shot Wolfgar and ended the film. <laughs> well, I mean, if the chase could have continued and he could have been put, you know, immobilized in some way, but to just hang there with his friend who's got a cut cheek. Yeah, it's a pretty deep cut, I give you, I give you. But uh, for me, it was just uh, another moment where I was like, you've let the villain get away when you could have continued chasing him. You motherfucker! You're fucking dead! You motherfucker! You're fucking dead! Wolfgar heads to like a shop and establishes like the shop as now his new base. And that's when Shakur hooks up with Wolfgar again and he's then establishing like, look, you know, um, the, was it, uh, the, the British guy is here. He's been following us. He knows everything about you. The cops are on you as well. You know, if you're going to make your big statement, you need to do it soon. So they go to like, like the, um, was it UN representatives or the uh, senators are, are having like a, a an evening do? It, it was such a weird shift of tone that all of a sudden we're at this kind of giant museum. These people are having lunches and Stallone's just like, hey, there's uh, everybody in position. Uh, and, and Hartman's just like, yes, we've got the south side covered, the north side covered, the top covered, the bottom covered. And Stallone's like, well, are you hungry? Why? You want to get some Chinese after this? I was like, well, listen. Are you hungry? Hmm, bit. Chinese food later. Look forward to it. What the fuck, Stallone? Like, I know you and Hartman have kind of bonded slightly over trying to catch Wolfgar, but you're asking your boss out for Chinese? Right. I was like, well, that's ominous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, what's happening right now? Shag is coming. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> How the fuck did Shaka get in this I, place? I, exactly. I'm like, so none of the terrorist imbeciles, but the police force with all of their security checks and everything have just let a terrorist into this highly secure facility who just happens to kill your, your lecturer on terrorists. Yeah. I mean, I do like his final line where he's just kind of like, Shaka? And he says it like, <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's dead. Oh, God. And, and oh, my God, the dialogue here where Deke is just like, I know how this man thinks. I know how to get into his head. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you don't. You barely had a scene with him. I'm like, what is this? I've got in his head. He kills people. I need to kill him. It's like, oh, where God. the fuck's this film coming from? And and then Wolfgar and Shaka get come up with the idea that if they get into the um, the train car kind of the cable car, the yeah. cable car in New York City, they can take a bunch of people hostage. And he's... there's a couple of the UN representatives in there as well. Yeah, but ultimately he wants a bus and a plane to get out of the city. Yeah, I was, I was like, this has <laughs> got to be the most stupidest, like villain like, terrorist thing to do at this moment when i was sat here it, this really felt like dirty harry the movie <laughs> right. instead of like this counter-terrorist kind of thing because wolfgar's character like we said is just being so bland and not, not rooker howard rooker howard is rooker Howard's brilliant yeah. great but he's had nothing to work with or whatever he's been working with has been edited out so his character is just completely two-dimensional two wooden bland and and him just in this cable car with these hostages with his guns, with Shaka, it's just like, it's fucking, uh, it's, it's fucking Dirty Harry all over again. Because, you know, the silver is Dirty Harry trying to bring down the big villain. Even Fox is just kind of left operating the radio. 
Because of the scar? Yeah, this is yeah, this is where his role really gets well, diminished I mean, here. He, I mean, he, he does snipe yeah. and, and kill Shaka later. Yeah. Uh, when they transition from the cable cart to get onto the bus. Uh, but yeah, that's his like final scene there, I think, as well, as hers. <laughs> yeah. But um, the lone I read as well was terrified of heights. He's terrified of heights, and I can relate. <laughs> I understand. But he did all of his own stunts in the film. Again, he, he's got something to prove. He's Mr. Yes. Ego at yes. this point in time. Yeah. He has, of course, since apologized for it, which I'm kind of glad, because I do like Stallone and yeah, like his yeah, movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a great stunt as he gets... I mean, at first... I... I can't, I, I, I've just praised him, but I also just want to say that his acting in the sequence before was atrociously bad. Like, for some reason, he gets in the helicopter and flies up, like, right next to the cable car so they can see each other through the glass. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, why Why are you doing this? Like, if, if, if Wolfgar wanted to, he could shoot at the helicopter and just kill you right now. Like, yeah. he's got no nothing stopping him. I'm surprised he didn't. But he's like, no, I want you in here. I've got a message. So he gets hoisted up, goes up the, the system, and he's yeah. like, here you go. Here's the here's the baby. Save the baby. Yeah, because I don't want to be But evil. if you drop the baby, I don't care. Just don't drop this note, because this I need you to make sure that the press get it. Well, and then, then they send it back down again. <laughs> I said, I the sequence is so stupid, because it's like, he shot a woman! He killed this woman in cold blood and thrown her out! But he's going to let the baby go, because he doesn't want to come across as evil, because that's what got him in trouble in the first place with everybody else. And he's literally trying to, like Ari said, you know, he's terrorizing who for what other than the Silver's ego, you know. And so then the Silver comes up with this great idea of getting a tape player attached to him with a microphone because Wolfgar wants the Silver to drive the bus to pick him up and all the hostages so that they can get to the plane. So along comes Stallone on the bus. You know, I, I thought it was cool. Wolfgar tied everybody's hands, so they turned into a kind of protective shield around him. They moved out. They were making their way to the bus. And then De Silva presses a button which fucking plays Hartman's voice and goes, Shaka. And she's like, motherfucking, as she lunges for Stallone. That's when Billy D. Williams fucking shoots her in the head. Yeah. And it all just then fucking kicks <laughs> off into... Some crazy shit. Because there's a gunfight and fucking Wolfgar jumps on the bus and drives the bus off into the river. Yeah, there's a nice little ramp there for him. Yeah. So, <laughs> that was a, again, a cool stunt, you know. That's pretty cool. And somehow he gets out of there, even though there's helicopters flying above him, there's spotlights, there's police, everything, and somehow he gets away. Yeah. Somehow he doesn't drown or freeze to death or get pulled away in the current or whatever. Or poisoned by the fucking water there because it's fucking horrible as fuck. But just like it was foreshadowed earlier, he does find out about Deke's ex-wife and yeah. uh, decides, well, I guess I need some payback and I'm going to go there and kill her. And I sat there, I shit you not, I sat there, I'm like... This is Stallone in a dress again. I'm going to laugh. <laughs> well, get ready to laugh. I mean, this is what's coming. We watch him, you know, take away the chain. He bursts the door in. He pulls out his knife. He sneaks in. And just when he's getting ready to make the attack, Stallone turns around in a wig and blasts Wolfgar twice. Yeah. Although there's five bullet wounds. Yeah. <laughs> as he flies back out through the door now. This film, like most of our favourite films, got screwed over by the MPAA. They went, no, 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 no. It's too gory. Too many boobies. You can't yeah. have them. Uh, and so a lot of the... Boobies? The, when were the boobies? Well, well they probably cut too. <laughs> I think there's probably a sex scene in there somewhere that got oh, cut, you man, know. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, the, uh, the, the, the big 
killing of Wolfgar was massively edited down. Uh, he was supposed to have shot multiple times, including blowing his his brains out. And there wow. was a Rutger Hauer head made with the with the head exploding out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but of course, all cut, all removed from the film. Uh, apparently, they tried to find that footage for you know the Blu-ray and special editions of the film, but they just can't find it anywhere. It's kind of lost. Uh, so it's kind of a shame. But I don't think they edited it too well together here. They could have at least just added in the gunshot sounds you, to make up for all the all the you know the blood you know the wounds what they should have done is they should have ended it on a knife fight like the beginning was him and Rutger Hauer having yeah, a fucking yeah, knife fight with a knife. and then yeah. he ends up getting a gun and blam blam maybe you know yeah end it on a fucking high you know it kind of just ends on a freeze frame as he sits on yeah. the stairs and I'm like oh jeez like, there's not even a follow up <laughs> yeah, it's just like Rutger Hauer's dead yeah fuck it end your movie end your movie, end your movie. Right you're, done. Yeah. you're done you're done yeah yeah, and did you have any favourite scenes? Um, a couple, really. I mean, I did kind of really struggle to get through the midpoint of the movie. But the beginning and the end kind of had some cool moments. I did really like the opening sequence with Stallone in a wig, you know, whipping off the mask and then chasing the guy. And especially, like I said, that train platform sequence I thought was really well shot, really well made up. Um, just listen to him as well, drag the guy. Um, some of the shots with Rutger Hauer, yeah, really good. Establishing him as the terrorist, as a villain, he's great. He's a lovely villain. But it's that point where he speaks to Pam, I think it is, the fucking airline Pan pilot. Am. Yeah, and she's like, I'm an air stewardess. What do you do? He's like, I'm an international terrorist and I'm being hunted by the police. She's like, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, oh, you're so dead, bitch. <laughs> uh, Nigel Davenport as the inspector. Like, yeah, the, the stuff with them sitting there learning about Wolfgar was kind of boring but he with his british accent and his kind of experience behind of what he's selling his character to me so even with all of the editing that stallone possibly tried to do or the studio tried to do like when he like i said when he has that conversation with stallone about how many confirmed kills he had i'm like man rambo it's fucking it's rambo. rambo yeah um and i did feel bad when he was shot at the end by shaka who you know, she's a really pretty actress and I was kind of sad I read about obviously how she had passed away um, and Star Trek motion picture so yeah that's about it yeah I uh, I really struggled for favourite scenes as well but I mean there's some memorable moments I did like the sequence again at the beginning I, the cinematography as we mentioned it was really striking really yeah, engaging to sequence. get you in the subway sequence and yeah I liked him dragging him across the frame reading him his rights and ending it with an amen yeah it's like okay I, I get it I get a feel for this character and this world that we're going to be in for the next you know hour and a half two hours and yeah so very strong opening scene the cable car scene over Manhattan, like it, as as ridiculous as some of it was, I just want to say that Stallone's acting when uh, when uh, when he does shoot someone, he's like, "Oh no, he killed a woman. He killed a hostage. He's killing hostages in there." I was like, Stallone, could you put some emotion, some 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 weight into what's happening instead of just being deadpan like you're a zombie, you know, reading a script? It was just so so flat. I was like, I was I was really really. Uh, Taken aback at how awful some of his acting was in this film, uh, but I don't want to say that he was entirely bad. No, like, no, no. A lot of the other scenes, you know, he he was worthwhile. It was just a, a, quite a few moments where I was like, is is he thinking about something else right now? Like, yeah. Other than what's going on. Oh Christ! Don't do it. Oh God damn it, Matt! He killed her. Um, but uh, I really did like the sequence where he is pulled up inside the cable car, and they have that that meeting, that standoff. Um, it's quite tense obviously he's got the Uzi in his face the entire time uh, but yeah the acting there I thought was really good and perhaps the animosity that the actors felt 
against each other mm. on set bled into their characters. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, it felt tense in that cable car. So yeah. that was a memorable moment. Of course, the bus crashing, you know, into the river. That was great. Like, great stunt, great practical effect. Uh, they done it very well, and uh, I was surprised. Uh, and I also think that the 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 underground subway chase sequence yeah. was very effective as well. Yeah. From the chase from from the nightclub all the way to him getting away. Uh, it's a very good very good moment. You forget the pacing at that point. The editing is really good. The music. Yeah. I also want to talk about the music briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music in this film was, I'm going to say it was hit and miss. It was brilliant, atmospheric, and got you in the mood. Mm. And sometimes it was like a 1960s kind yeah. of hokey, dated, uh, and and cringy. It, uh, it didn't gel very well with the film. Now, of course, the musician, when he composed the score for the film, was for sequences and scenes which were much longer, yeah. which, of course, Stallone edited and cut, then the studio edited and cut, so the music kind of got mismatched in places, I think, and so yeah, it didn't work uh, very well. Um, but uh, Ian, do you recommend Nighthawks? I try to, um, but the only thing I could say to watch this movie for is watching early Stallone, you know, pre-Rambo pre-expendables pre-90s Stallone you know like like Gary didn't like him really in Oscar I'm surprised he fucking even stood him in this but you know that's that's the thing maybe working with Rutger Hauer made him try to be a better actor you know a better person behind the scenes he he had this ego coming off the back of Rocky he'd fought for it he'd earned it I got that and so that kind of feeds into Nighthawk but at the same time, balancing him against Rutger Hauer, who I know is just really good in a lot of his stuff. This is his debut in America, and he got fucking slashed up by another actor who just had too much control and took away a lot of scenes. I would have liked to have got behind the Wolfgar character, because that may have made me get behind the Silver's actions against Wolfgar. But instead, it's just... Let's get into one action sequence with another action sequence and then kill the villain off at the end. It's an hour and a half long, which isn't too bad. But at the same time, we've said it before, sometimes it seems really fucking long when nothing's fucking happening. So maybe? (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that as well as I can only really honestly somewhat recommend Nighthawks as a slightly... Better than average action thriller, really. I mean, it has some great aspects and there are some memorable moments with a top tier cast. But for me, this cat and mouse game didn't fully deliver. It did, however, introduce American audiences to the captivating, scene-stealing greatness of (laughs) Rutger Hauer, who Mm. is fantastic in this. Rutger excels as a villain who was well-written and threatening and believable and probably the best reason to give this film a watch. Stallone was pretty decent, you know, it's a small departure from his usual characters, uh, but not a fully developed one, as Deke felt as conflicted as the struggles behind the scenes, you know, with little exploration or payoff, making him hard to relate to. You know, Billy Dee was great, had some good chemistry with Stallone, but felt underused and then sidelined. The pace is slow. It gets tedious at times with some rough editing and poor story development, but the cinematography was great. It captured the action well and it showcased New York City's dirty, crime-filled underbelly with good lighting and shadows. The music score by Keith Emerson, it sounds horribly outdated at times, almost comical in effect, while also being perfectly pitched at other times in the film. 
And, you know, it's kind of in reflection of my, and you know, my breakdown of the film is that it's, it's not a bad film and it's not a great film. It didn't really work for me narratively, uh, but it's always, always worth a watch to see a nearly forgotten film with Rutger Hauer. One man can bring the world to its knees and only one man can stop him. Thanks for watching Off The Shelf Reviews.